Well, welcome everyone to the Spend Life Well Show, where we talk about uh, biblical finance and your money. Uh, it seems like I, I need to have a standard tagline for our program. <laughs> I know I say it different almost every week, but that's okay. You all know where you are. You're listening to us on the Spend Life Well program, where we talk about biblical finance and and really just how that all applies to your world world and and uh, how to uh, manage your money and honoring God at the same time. So on today's program, Jesse. Jesse Hamilton, my co-host. Hey, everybody. Uh, Jesse and I are going to talk about uh, buying a home and and really, should you buy a home? Right. And we've seen a very interesting housing market as the interest rates creep up. Mortgages are getting more expensive. We've talked in previous programs about how maybe less realistic it is for a person, at least in central Texas, to buy a home um, compared to the median income and the median price. But... That being said, we just wanted to provide some biblical wisdom uh, on should you really buy a house and what does that mean? Yeah, and and it's a big decision for a lot of people. Um, it's a um, huge decision. It's probably the biggest decision. Well, for, 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 for most people, it is their largest financial transaction they'll ever do. Right. And so it's important to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm looking up something on our while we're talking here. Okay. Um, and uh, and there we go. So so really, you have to think about: Are you ready to buy a home? And what are some of the criteria, Jesse, that we need to be ready to buy a home? But I think before we do that, let's just let's jump in and say, you know, what are some of the benefits of owning versus renting? So there's tons of benefits of buying a home, and everybody kind of sees it as the gold standard of financial well-being, and we don't necessarily. Believe that. It is a good thing. Johnny and Susie are buying a home. They must be doing well. Yeah, they must be doing well. That's what people say. Um, It it is a long-term strategy to free up future cash flow down the road. So what you're saying is uh, pay off the mortgage and then that monthly payment after I'm done goes into my bank account? Correct. It does. But, you know, we're talking most mortgages are 30 years. If you get a good one, it's 15 years. That's a long time. How often... How often do people stay in the same home for 30 years? Very rarely. Very rarely. In fact, we were talking with our mortgage uh, broker friends here in our building. Yeah. And um, they were basically saying that on average, the average person moves about once every five to seven years. Okay. So they sell and buy a home every once, every, every five to seven years. That's not 30. Well, you know, Mark, desiring a home ownership doesn't necessarily mean that you're ready. That's right. So what are some things that people need to do before they make that decision? Well, um, another benefit of eventually being free of this payment is um, that, you know, later on in your plan, whether it's retirement or later into your adulthood, um, you don't have to make that monthly contribution as much. So you're going to have better cash flow. That's the long term strategy. And from a biblical worldview, that could lead to more generosity. Yeah, sure can. It sure can. Yeah. If if we decided to do that, and that would be you know something for each person to consider themselves. Sure. So, what are some guidelines for home ownership readiness? Well, the first question is: Do you plan on living there at least five years? You just said the average is maybe five to seven, which yeah. is great. That's that's a right in the zone that you want to be. But if you don't plan on living there for five years you're probably not going to break even in terms of what it costs you to maintain the home. And, and you're not, you're just better off renting. 
Because a lot of people think that every time you buy and sell a house, you make money. Yeah. And and that has been the case here, especially in Central Texas, for the last five to seven years that real estate prices have appreciated very rapidly. Right. A lot of people moving to you know the area uh, from out of state, and so there's a high demand for houses. That's not normal. That's not really normal. I mean, right. you mainly see that... But you've also got the the reason that it can be costly for people that are going to move in a short time of frame time frame, is that there are transactions of cost associated with buying and selling a house. Yes, there are, and they can get pretty expensive. Yeah, so you think about it. You've got closing costs. You've got title policies and things that you may have to buy depending on which side of the transaction you're on. Mm-hmm. Also, too, if if you're the if you're the seller, you typically in most markets you will be paying. The realtor fees, which can be up to six percent or higher, right, for of the purchase price, and those transactions happen on every transaction. They do, and think about it, if you're buying a brand new home, you probably have some materials that last a long time. But if you're buying a pre-existing home, things are going to break. Yeah, and and so you'll have costs associated with that. Going back to the whole fees and charges and transaction costs, when I lived in Pennsylvania for a short while, uh huh. Pennsylvania had essentially uh, a relic that was left over from the Stamp Act. And if anybody's a historical buff and you understand what the Stamp Act was in colonial times, you'll understand what this is. But it basically says you pay a tax premium on every time you buy and sell the house. Okay. And that's the majority of your of your taxes that you pay. You have some property taxes, but they're real low. So you've got transaction costs, you've got real estate taxes, you've got all sorts of different things that when you're renting, you don't, you, have, to deal you don't with. have to deal with those things, even though you you may be paying for it through your monthly rent payment, right? but you're not having to deal with all the transaction costs. And when you get to the end of the, of the lease, you don't have to sell the house. You just give notice and then you move to the, mm-hmm. to the next place that you're wanting to go. It sure is more convenient. It is more convenient. There's less, you're not responsible generally in most cases when you're renting for the maintenance of the home. Uh, a lot of landlords will, you know, if it's a house, they'll require you, you have to mow the lawn and keep it nice and clean. But if the roof, if the roof has a leak in it, that's not your responsibility right. in most cases. So right. when you're a homeowner, you're responsible for all those things. Right. Um, the, the stove breaks down when you're a homeowner, you get to pay to replace <laughs> it or fix it. When the stove breaks down, when, when you're a renter, the owner has to pay for it mm-hmm. and fix it. So there's lots of trade-offs with that. We also want to look at your income, though, right? And that's right, because I think pe- sometimes people will try to get qualified for a mortgage that's much, much beyond their means. And trust me, they'll qualify you for it. Oh, yeah, because that's their job as mortgage brokers is to make sure that you qualify for this loan. And and But we're seeing that affordability metric really drop a lot as prices go up real fast and incomes are not following right. up as That's fast. That's what I was meaning when, when I said that the median price exceeds the realistic capacity of the median income. That's right. And so uh, you're seeing uh, houses lately stay on the market a little bit longer because of that. So mm-hmm. what's kind of the, the metric there that we shoot for when it comes to, will your mortgage payments be less than what percent of someone's income every month? Well, we conservatively say 30% of after-tax pay. Yeah. And I know a lot of people might freak out a little bit at that, but it's a safe place to be. So let's say after tax, you're taking home $4,000 a month. 
The recommended mortgage payment, according to that, 30% after tax pay would be $1,200. Okay. So how does someone figure out how much home they can afford? I mean, they're just basically going to look at the the interest rates and all those different things, and we can help you calculate that if you're interested. But you can look at that, take those things and, and reverse engineer it to see what's the, the price of the home that you can afford. Right. And, and we, we say that conservative number because other expenses will come up. Your right. water heater will need maintenance. Your ele- you will have to hire an electrician. And, you know, Dave Ramsey recommends 25% yeah. percent of your of your take-home pay, even, right? Even more conservative. Right. And so what about down payment? What, what do we need to consider there? Well, the standard that we like to talk about is always the 20% mark, because when you hit that, you no longer have to pay for private mortgage insurance. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that's important. That can actually ask, add several hundred dollars a month to your mortgage payment if you're having to pay private mortgage insurance. And for those that, that don't know what that is, we, 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 do, we call it PMI, private mortgage insurance. That's basically addition, an insurance policy that the lender will get paid if you, sh- if you choose to default right. on the loan. Even if you have great credit, you have a steady job and income, and your credit score is awesome, they're going to mark you as high risk because you're not paying 20% down. And that's, that's why right. the PMI exists. That's right. That's right. So, you know, we we encourage that because there's a number of different reasons why that's important, not only to avoid the PMI, but it also gives you a cushion as well should the housing market cool off. Exactly. And you have a situation where you have to sell and move, maybe to a just a different job that that's taking you across the country things of that nature. We see far too many no money down plans and you know 3% down type money and that's spelling trouble for that homeowner and borrower for that because that's just really risky when you do that. These um, are the kind of checks and balances that people should take to heart so that we don't have another 2008. I, I remember I, I at one time had my real estate license and okay. so forth and I remember going and seeing some of these new home construction um, neighborhoods, right? And uh, you could go in during the heyday. This is before the housing crisis in, in 08 and 09. You could go in before then and you could basically, you could borrow up to 105%. So more than the, the value purchase of the price. purchase price. Yes. And, and so, you know, you got to have some cash because, you, you know, you get a new house, it's bigger. You got to fill it, right? So yeah. they were giving you some incentive. And, and what, what we found was a lot of time the, um, the home uh, construction company that was doing the loans as well, or that a subsidiary that was doing the loans, would underestimate the property tax so that you could qualify for that zero money down right. loan. And then a year come, goes around and the, tax, the property tax is reappraised and before there was an empty lot on there, so it wasn't worth much. Now there's a house on there, so it's worth a lot more. And so, pay, uh, folks, um, monthly mortgage payments went from twelve hundred dollars to seventeen hundred dollars a month. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, it's a lot more of a burden for that buyer to pay the monthly payments. Yeah. So that's I, why we you, have you do that down payment. So important. So many times, Mark, I've heard you say. You can't go down to the 7-Eleven and cash out your house. It's not a liquid part of your network. It's worth. not. And, and there's no guarantee that anyone will buy it. Right. Um, you know, and, and that was, that's the thing. People people think that there, if there's a hot market, people will buy anything. And that's not true. You know, you, you it may take you a long time mm-hmm. to sell that property, especially if you don't price it properly. Right. 
Um, so how, how can people, you know, talking about the 20% down payment. That, that's a big number for some people. It and is. And I can, hear, really... I can hear our listeners right now saying, how am I supposed to do that? Yeah. How do I save that aggressively? Well, tell give us some ideas about what we can do to save up for a down payment. Uh, well, it's take it month by month. You don't have to look at it as $50,000 or whatever. Look at it as X number of dollars per month. Even if you have enough income, you could set aside $1,000 a month more and just keep chipping away at that block. <coughs> I know that's a very simple way to look at it, but... Well, you have to have a plan. Maybe you work an extra job. Maybe you sell some right. stuff. You can do that. I think there's a there's a misnomer that people think that that buying a home is cheaper than renting, mm-hmm. and it may not. Uh, also, you want to get a home that's right for you and your family. You don't need to keep upgrading all the time. I'm reminded of, of the parable in Luke 12, uh, yeah. the parable of the rich fool. The rich fool, yeah. Who was so successful, and he, and he kept upgrading and all these different things, and he says, I'm, I've got so much room. I need to build bigger barns and things. Mm-hmm. And, of course, Jesus tells a parable that says, you, you know, you fool, tonight your life will be given, taken from you. Yeah. And all, all this stuff is for what? Live modestly. Get a good neighborhood. Get a comfortable home. But it doesn't have to be the Taj Mahal. Yeah. And just think about this because this this investment, it's not really investment, but this home, hopefully will be used to honor and glorify God in many ways. And and. We as human beings can justify any reason for a purchase for a home, right? right? But think about that. Pray about those things when you're preparing and thinking about buying a home. How will this home be used to glorify God? Mm-hmm. And um, you know, then look at the analysis we talked about: is what is my, how much can I afford, and what's that typical house look like? Mm-hmm. I think you need to do those things before you set a goal to say, I'm going to, I'm going to save $50,000 or $100,000 or $10,000. You need to know what your target is and you and um, your family need to go look at a few properties like that. I encourage you to engage a a professional realtor uh, with that designation. There are a number of in the area. Uh, You can give us a call. We'll give you a few references. But, you know, that's something to do to, to start there, to figure out what it is that you're trying to save for. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I guarantee you, if everybody c- comes in and is like, hey, we want to live in that neighborhood and we need to save this much for a down payment, you can get excited about that. Your family will get right. excited about that. And they won't mind that, hey, we don't, we don't eat out but once a week this, that for, until we get that down payment. We save that money. Mm-hmm. Everybody will get involved, the kids, everything else like that. So... Folks, we want to encourage you to um, pray before you purchase and think about the home that's right for you. And uh, we can help you with trying to figure out the details with that. But anyway, that's a good conversation, Jesse. I, I appreciate you bringing this yes, up. Yes, it is. If you have any questions about your financial plan and how it might impact your home buying experience, just give us a call. Yeah. So uh, for this week, that's it. We'll call it a wrap. And thanks for listening to the Spin Life Wall Show.